One of the jobs that I had to do was to lead children's worship. So I was looking, I was forever looking for songs that the children would enjoy, that I would enjoy, <laughs> that weren't too cheesy, and, um, and, and that actually talked of God's truth, but in ways that the children could relate to and understand. And um, so that was my sort of task, day by day, week by week, as we planned um, lessons and sessions, and uh, knew a few good songs. But I, I began to sort of feel that there weren't quite enough songs that were saying the things that I wanted to say, that I felt the kids needed to hear in a way that they needed to hear them. We didn't have all the songs that we needed, and so we tentatively just started to write some of our own songs. Um, we just experimented with it. I remember the very first kids song I wrote was very simple. I was teaching a, a, a series on um, David, and the, the, the whole thing about David, you know, is there's this thing when David is called to be king it says man looks on the outside but God looks on the heart and I literally wrote a song and I remember walking along I was working as a teacher I remember literally walking along to school that day going man looks on the outside but God looks on the heart man and just in my head all, all the way to school uh, I was actually working out actions very complicated actions as it turned out to be man looks on the uh, no what was it man looks on the outside but God looks on the heart and I was all the way to school so I wouldn't forget it and um, you know wrote some other songs as well so I wrote a song called Sometimes I Feel Afraid just really were looking for songs that were really expressing where I wanted the young people to be where, how I wanted to help them relate to God how I wanted to help them learn truth and, and there was a song that came up about two or three years later that we wrote um, called Our God is a Great Big God which for some reason ended up kind of becoming uh, really big and going around the world but the truth is that we just wanted our kids to have something to sing which helped them learn and remember the truth about God and also gave them words and phrases and pathways into really connecting with God and as I said some of those songs became more widely known quite a lot of them didn't but, but they did because they described the same stories and the same journeys and their same truths that others wanted to connect with and it's the same with the songs we sing in church on a Sunday they are songs that express the story of what God's saying doing in our lives and that's exactly what the book of Psalms is just going back to 3,000 years it's Israel's prayer book and it's our prayer book this is a series that we're going to look at Psalms where, where, we, uh, where, we, where we just explore this a little bit more it's a collection of of inspired hymns and prayers. And you can usually find it, I remember when I was a kid learning, it's basically in the middle of the Bible. So if you kind of roughly find the middle, you'll end up in the Psalms. These hymns and prayers are intended to be set to music and prayed in worship and have been sung and prayed in worship for many, many, many thousands of years. They've brought great comfort and great strength to God's people. It's thought that King David wrote many of these psalms, although, to be honest, nobody is really sure. But that actually, it doesn't actually matter who wrote them. What, what matters is that they're well written and that they point us to God. So the book of Psalms is the product of a community of faith, God's people who collected, composed and collected and then recorded and passed down their own prayers and hymns and songs as a liturgy and a witness to their story, their experience, what God, what, what, how they've experienced life with God as the people of God. And similar to our repertoire of songs, I'm sure that there were some that developed that they really liked, that were excited about when they were new, and some that were old. I'm sure that there were some that they felt had been done to death. Um, 
There's a range of songs for different themes and different times. You know, as a worship leader, you long for that moment, those of you who are worship leaders will know what I'm talking about, when you just have the right song for the right moment. You know, and you just, you kind of have this sense of what God is doing, and then you have this song, and you think, yep, that's the song, and our guys do that many times. It's a song that really just is the right one for the right moment that really everyone can own and express deeply what's going on. And the Psalms are also a great basis for prayer. Sometimes we just don't know what to say to God. And we can find fantastic prayers in the Psalms. One of my own personal favorites is Psalm 73, which some friends of mine wrote into a, a song. Um, and it goes, I felt, uh, the, the song version goes, I felt my feet were slipping down just the other day as I envied all the prosperous and all their wicked ways. And then he goes on, it didn't, seems to me that they're looking healthy and strong and what's the point of being a follower of Jesus? And then he kind of turns it around and reminds himself and the chorus of my friend's song goes, and as for me, it's good to be with Jesus. There's nothing I like better. There's no one I want more. As for me, it's good to be with Jesus. Can't think who else I'd be living for. So they're a great basis for prayer. They're also fantastic poetry. Great examples of Hebrew poetry addressed to the mind through the heart. Often the language that we hear in Psalms and reading Psalms is not literal language. It's it's heart language. It's not literal. It's metaphoric. So for example, Psalm 46, a mighty fortress is our God. He is not literally a fortress. He is metaphorically like a fortress. He's not impenetrable, but he is a place of safety and protection. That's what we find in the Psalms. They express a range of deep emotions from the extremely happy to the extremely sad and all in between. And over the next five, four or five weeks, we're going to look at the Psalms and different types of Psalms. Now, Joe and I are going to be away on holiday for the next two or three weeks, so other people are going to come. Neil, excitingly, our newly published author, is also going to be speaking next week, and also Mervyn and Claire and Pete is going to share over the next few weeks. And they're going to look at the Psalms of Thanksgiving and the Psalms of Trust, and, uh, uh, the Royal Psalms, the Psalms of Celebration. But today I want to look at Psalms of Lament, and I realise I don't have the clicker with me. Have you got the clicker? Oh, can you just stick the next slide up for me? Thank you. Oh, you're very kind, Tom. Bless you, mate. Um, we're going to look at the Psalms of Lament. Thank you. Can you give him a little round of applause? That's wonderful. Thank you. Which is the largest group of Psalms, with well over 60 out of that 150. Now, lament means complaint. It means grief. It means sorrow. It means regret. It means disappointment. These Psalms of Lament are the original blues songs. There's some, there, there are a bunch of songs about how bad things really are. There, you know, if, if you start to read the, the Psalms of Lament, you'll find that they're not very uplifting. They're quite downbeat and they, they're quite negative. So here's an example of, of one. This is a, we haven't, there are individual laments and there are corporate laments, and we don't have time to look into both. But one corporate lament is Psalm 137, which you've probably recognized because it starts by the rivers of Babylon... There, we sat down and wept. And I'm not talking about the jolly Boney M version, okay? Those of you who are under a certain age won't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Hebrew version in the book, Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. I mean, these guys were sitting on the banks of a strange river in a strange land, having been basically by force taken away from their home. On the willows there, we hung up our instruments, we 
hung up our harps and our lyres and our captors told us, come on, sing your songs of Zion now then. How can we do that while we're in a foreign land? Just jump to, if you're, you, there will do, I'm not going to do loads of it, but there will just be a little bit of flicking around today, but jump to verse 7. Okay, this is one of my favourite parts of the Psalms, of Psalm 137. It says, remember Lord, what those Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, that's the enemy, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. That's pretty full-on language, isn't it? That's pretty full-on. How do we make sense of that? I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. I promise you I will be coming back. Um, there are many individual laments, as I said, and on your sheet I've just got some notes there that you may uh, want to... Now the point of giving you these notes, by the way, is that if you've got a pen you might want to add anything that I sort of say that might make sense or might be worth remembering, you sort of write on the notes and add, add into it and then take it home. It's to stop you writing down all the, all the good bits, but hopefully, the, hopefully there are some things on there. And as you can see, there's a, little, there's a whole list of psalms that you could look at, look at. And we're not going to look at all of them today, you'll be pleased to know. But what I do want to do is I just want to briefly look at two or three psalms and then I want us to learn some things from them. I want to look at how they're structured and how they work. And um, the key elements of a lament are there, are, there are six parts to a psalm of lament. Okay, and this is, uh, this is described by Gordon Fee, who's a fantastic Bible, Bible scholar. Um, there are six parts to a lament. Okay, there's the address and the complaint. There's trust and deliverance and assurance and praise. And what I want to say after I've looked at some of the structures is I want us to just talk about how we respond to that. Because there's a dichotomy here, isn't there? There's, 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 there's the reality that we need to be real about pain. And then there's the, the need to trust in God and to press through into the promise of all that he's got favour for us. And that's, you know, that's, that can be really tough sometimes. Popular music is pretty good at singing laments. Popular music, is, which most of which has grown up from the blues anyway, is, is, is a fairly good way of singing sad songs. Right back to when I was thinking about you know, something like the Beatles, She's Leaving Home. Right through to someone like Adele's Someone Like You. These are songs that kind of people grasp hold of because they're so sad. They, they express pain. People can relate to them. Perhaps in the same way as they can relate to the storylines in a drama or a, or a soap opera maybe. Sometimes in the past the accusation has been levelled against the church that we can't do that, we can't relate to people in pain. That we're all shiny, happy, clappy people with fixed smiles saying God is good all the time. And it's, and it's true, it's hard to be in a positive environment if you feel like inside you're just kind of struggling. And that's where the Psalms come in particularly the Psalms of Lament. I read this quote when I was researching this. It says, The inability to discuss the real pains of regular life silences many. I thought that was really profound. But in the Bible, there's no need for silence. We do have an answer. So these are the key elements of a Psalm of Lament. And what I want to do is I want to show you from Psalm 3, just very quickly, how these work. And I've actually, you can look it up, but I've also got, I've actually got this one on the screen. Um, And so... You will find all of these elements in a lament. Now, you won't find them all necessarily neatly laid out in that order in all of the Psalms, but you do find them neatly laid out in that order in Psalm 3. This is Psalm 3, okay? Uh, And it starts off, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? 
Many are saying of me that God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. You bestow glory on me and lift my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. It's a short and simple one. Many of the Psalms that I meant go into a lot more depth and, and a lot more language than this. And just to show you how this works very briefly. So I said that there was an address and obviously this is addressed to the Lord. Okay. And then there's a complaint. And the complaint here comes in verse one and two. How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. I'm uh, okay. My, my version of this would be, I'm stuffed. I'm stuffed, God. They're all around me. I've got no hope. I've got no chance. That's honestly what the trouble is. Some of the Psalms of Lament go into immense detail about what that trouble is. And that's okay. We'll come to that in a minute. And then there's an expression of trust. In this case, this expression of trust is a pretty long one. It's four verses. All that's happening. I'm stuffed, Lord, but, and it's a very big but, you are a shield around me, O oh Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift my head. And he remembers all the things that, that he knows to be true about the Lord. He remembers it all. I lie down and sleep and I wake again because you sustain me. It's just sort of going back to first principles. Just saying out loud everything I know about God. And then there's a cry for deliverance. Please deliver me. Rescue me. Help me, Lord. Help me. And there's assurance. I'll come to this bit in a minute. Assurance that God will deliver. I know you're going to do it. I know you can do this. And then there's praise. Oops, sorry. Finishing off with praise. Thank you for the blessings of the past and the present and the future. Now that's a whistle stop tour through Psalm 3. It's, it's pretty whistle stop, but it's there to just really demonstrate how this um, theologian Gordon Fee describes how these Psalms of Lament work. Another really, really well-known, probably the best-known psalm of lament is Psalm 22. And you'll know this because Jesus is in Matthew. Matthew tells the story of Jesus on the cross. And he describes how Jesus quotes Psalm 22 when he's on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some people in the past have suggested that, that Jesus quoting this line on the cross is evidence that God has turned his back on Jesus. And they, they use that as an argument for a theory called penal substitution. I'm not sure that's right, to be honest. But, in fact, I don't think it's right at all, but that's not what I'm going to talk about today. Matthew quotes this verse, and those who understand this from a, a Jewish perspective will understand that as soon as he says that first line, every Jewish person present would know the whole psalm. They would know the whole thing in their mind because they'd learnt it as, as children and as they've grown up. So actually, quoting the verse is shorthand for reading the whole psalm. So it's not just, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then if you turn to Psalm 22, it carries on. I cry by day, I answer by night. Verse 3, though, and yet you are holy. So there's more to it than just that line, I'm, I'm done for, I'm forsaken. 
we could check off our list. If you want to turn to Psalm 22, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But you know, yeah, it's all there. The descriptive language, I mean, he talks about, it's very poetic. You know, it's very extreme. The word forsaken implies that God has literally withdrawn his companionship. He's withdrawn his protection. He's withdrawn his support, renounced him, given him up, sacrificed him. And that's certainly how he feels. That's how the guy who wrote the psalm felt. It's maybe how Jesus felt on the cross. He, des- he describes himself as a worm and his enemies as bulls, lions, dogs and evil men. And yet, you only have to get to verse 3 before you get into the trust verses. Yet you're enthroned, verse 3 of Psalm 22, you're enthroned as the Holy One of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. So that complaint is balanced with trust and assurance. If you jump down to verse 24, he's not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He's not hidden his face from him. He has listened to his cry for help. There's a key praise, verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. So the elements of the psalm of lament are there in 22 and they're there in all of those psalms sometimes they're a bit jumbled up but they are there and the other one I want to look at this morning is 42 and actually when I did my research and looked at this I realised that 42 and 43 are kind of I think they're meant to be together I think it's the same song and I've actually reproduced them on the back for you so that you can have a little look at that as the deer pants for streams of water so my soul pants for you. That's a pretty well-known phrase. I can't read that without thinking of that song that came out in the 70s or maybe it was the 80s. It's a nice tune. I'm, I'm not sure I'd sing it now, but it's a nice tune. It's the, but the words are amazing. Uh, as the deer pants for living water. It's very visual imagery. Now, I can't really relate to that. I don't know about deer. I know one or, one or two of you I was chatting to who are into a bit of hunting and shooting maybe you know a bit more about this than I do but I, I've not observed deer at close hand I've observed other animals well via the television that imagery of just being absolutely desperate for, for, for refreshment absolutely thirsty dry as a bone that's where this thing starts and there are key complaint verses in verse 2 and verse 3 and verse 4 My soul thirsts for God. When can I go meet with him? My tears have been my food day and night. People say to me all day long, where is your God? So I'm crying at night and I'm feeling like I'm a long way from God. Has anyone ever been in this position? Can you relate to what this songwriter is saying? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, he says. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He's talking about how the Hebrews would go up to Jerusalem every year to the temple to worship God and celebrate. And Obviously, that's a happy time, and he's thinking about that and saying, well, I don't feel like that now, but that's, that's how he used to be. Jumping ahead, I sort of want to jump around in this because there's more complaint in verse 9 if you drop down to the bottom. I say to God, my rock, Although he says he still calls God his rock, so he still recognizes something going on there, but he says, why have you forgotten me? 
Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by an enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes torment me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? That's pretty full on. That's pretty full on. And yet there are also these key trust verses. And in this case, I've put them in italics for you because it comes three times and it's like a chorus. The trust part is like the chorus of the song of Psalm 42 and 43. The trust part is this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? He's talking to himself. Why so disturbed within me? He's telling himself, put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. The trust is in God my rock. The trust is in verse 2. God, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. And then if you look ahead at verse 1 of Psalm 43, there's the delivery verse. Vindicate me, rescue me, help me. There's a trust line there. You are my stronghold, but why have you rejected me? It's still there. Kind of flitting around between... Yes, I know it's the truth. I know who you are, but I'm feeling so desperately far away from you. And yes, I know know that you're meant to be there for me and I know that you're good and everything, but I just don't feel it right now. Has anyone ever experienced that? And there's a key assurance verse, 42, 6. My soul is downcast. Therefore, I will remember you. From the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from the Mount... Mizar, I'll remember you. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. That's another fantastic line. The deepest part of me is calling to the deepest part of you in the midst of craziness. I mean, the roar of a waterfall, I imagine that's pretty disturbed. Waves breaking all around me. And then there's that lovely verse 8. By, the, by day the Lord directs his love. Oh yeah. At night, his song is with me. And then there's a key praise verse. 43 verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and delight, and praise you. There's this whole journey going on here, isn't there? From sadness, through remembering what God has done, choosing to trust, calling out for rescue, and praise. And this is very similar to many of those psalms of lament. They sort of flip between this kind of desperate, oh, I'm, so, I'm struggling so much, I'm so in need. And yet, God, I know who you are. There's that dichotomy again. And I've said before that maturity, as a believer, I think, is being able to hold values in tension. To be, to be able to say, this is really hard, And yet I still choose to trust God. It's a bit like a seesaw. And so what can we learn from these psalms of lament? I have three points to make. One, say it like it is. Two, choose to trust in God. And three, press through into the promise of God's favour. So say it like it is. Don't be afraid to be real about what we are feeling. God can handle it. If you're having a tough time, if you've been let down, if you've made some really, really rubbish decisions and you just feel useless about them, just say how you feel. 
If you've been mistreated by others and it wasn't your fault, if you're in pain, if you're suffering with ill health or emotional pain or financial worries or family concerns or depression or anxiety or stress or burnout, or it's okay to say it like it is. That's what the Psalms of Lament teach us. Now, I haven't quoted uh, one of my favorite people, Bono, for a while. Um, he's, he wrote this. He wrote an introduction, actually, um, to a contemporary sort of publication of the book of the Psalms. And he wrote in it, Abandonment and displacement are the stuff of my favorite psalms. The Psalter, that's the song book, psalm book, is maybe a font of gospel music, but for me, it's the despair that the psalmist really reveals and the nature of his special relationship with God. Honesty, even to the point of anger. How long, O oh Lord, will you hide for, forever? That's Psalm 89. Or answer me when I call. See, I really believe that the Psalms of Lament are the best place to start in a journey towards emotional health. What does that mean? It means recognizing our feelings and expressing them. Now, I know that most of you women are very good at that, but guys, let's just be honest, we're not that good at this, are we? You know, expressing our feelings, being able to process them and move forward. I remember a time when I didn't really know how to cry. I said to the Lord, something has to happen here. I don't know how this is going to happen. Now I'll cry at anything. Yes, I've got that written down in my story. I remember when um, Becky was watching the Railway Children with us. Has anyone seen the Railway Children? Okay, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert, okay? Sorry if you haven't seen it. There's a, there's a very emotional moment at the end. Very, very emotional. And um, Becky was about seven, and she sat watching it with, with Joe and I. I think she'd been off school ill. And... Uh, she just couldn't believe at the end. She, just, she was sitting there by the television and we were sort of sitting behind her. She just looked round at the end and both of us were like... <laughs> She's like why, are you, why are you crying at this film? Injustice, pain, emotional intelligence. I, I was really helped by some, some really helpful, a really wonderful lady actually, just to try and get in touch with some of what I was feeling. She said, well, you're creative. Try writing it down. Write a song. Write a poem. Write a prayer. Write a letter. I wrote a letter to my father just to try and express some of what I wanted to say to him. I never sent it to him. In fact, I think, you know, I still, I, yeah, I never sent it to him, but it would just really helped me to kind of connect with what I was actually feeling. And expressing our pain and anger is so important. Some of us are afraid of that. We're so afraid of expressing our emotions, we just squash them down and just, you know, just outside, you know, but we, we know that's not going to happen. Have you seen that film uh, or read the, I say the film, I'll show my age now. Have you read the book Far From the Madding Crowd? It's a classic. We watched the film recently. There's a girl in there, she's called Bathsheba, Bathsheba Everdeen, which is a fantastic name, and she has three suitors, all, all these diff three different guys chasing her. One is this lovely shepherd guy, very humble, called Gabriel Oak. Another is this sort of dashing uh, sort of Sergeant Frank Troy. And the third one is, is a sort of slightly older and repressed neighbor called William Boldwood. He's a farmer next door and he's completely besotted with her. And he wants to help her and he's so in love with her and he's so jealous and he can't say any of it. And if you get to see the movie that they made, it was out earlier this year, uh, Michael Sheen, he's a brilliant actor and he plays this guy so, so laced up and done up. I mean, there's just, you, you can tell that it's, there's stuff going on underneath, but he will not say it. 
until it all explodes in a very dramatic and unfortunate event at the end, which, again, I won't. <laughs> now you don't need to see it. <laughs> Thomas Hardy, I think it was written in 1800s. Those of you who know about literature will know this anyway. But, um, you know, I heard a guy called Arch Hart once say, the only way to really properly deal with loss is to go right into the valley of loss. What many people do when we experience loss or grief, which we all do at different levels from time to time, sometimes in a small way and sometimes in a very big way, but what we... what what. The easy thing to do is to sort of circumnavigate that loss. It's like we can feel things going down, so we'll do something just to pull ourselves out again. It might be a thing like some sort of comfort mechanism, comfort eating or drinking or turning to some sort of substance. It may be we go on the rebound with a relationship and we never actually deal with what we're feeling and what's going on. And I heard this guy say the only way to deal with pain, this kind of loss and grief properly, is to go right down into the valley of loss. And when you've been right down to the bottom of it, you can come up the other side, and that's the healthy way to deal with pain. And I really believe that Jesus meets us there. And that's what Psalm 23 is all about. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't need to fear. And sometimes, some of us need to, need to be, you know, something terrible has happened. Maybe it's a relationship that's ended. Maybe we've lost somebody very close to us. Maybe something tragic has happened. And we sometimes just need to have the guts to go there. And sometimes we need to help each other have the guts to go there and just help people walk through the valley of loss. And in there, just describe how unspeakably horrible it is. But know that God is with us. Because they've been there, the psalmist's been there. That's what this is all about. And it's only when we do that that we can come up the other side and we can properly process our stuff. Now let me just say a word about what they call the imprecatory psalms. That's the one I referred to at the beginning, where it seems like the writer is calling down curses on his enemies. Strike my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. That's pretty mild compared to the one we read at the beginning. Smash their children's skulls against rocks. That's what he's saying. Let me just say about these. These need to be read and understood in context. Okay? This writer is expressing anger and pain at what has been done to him and his words are not intended for us they're intended for God Those, he is intending God to hear his heart not necessarily his enemies to have those actions dealt with sometimes people suggest that this contradicts Jesus' teaching which is to love our enemies implying that to love someone is to feel something and yet in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus teaches that it's not what we feel, it's what we do. It's okay to feel cross with somebody. How you handle it, that's a different matter. It's okay to feel like that. Making a choice to do the right thing is really important. But that doesn't conflict with expressing our pain, being real and healthy, and going to God with how we really feel. And the writer is calling on God to exercise his judgment. He's, saying, he's not saying, I'm going to go and smash their baby's heads against the rocks. He's saying, I wish you would, God. And in that place, he's choosing to trust God, knowing that God will be the judge and God will deal with stuff. So we just need to be aware of that when we read this stuff. Using the words of the Psalms, he, he's, he's correctly challenging his anger. Channeling, sorry, not challenging. He's correctly channeling his anger. Using the words of the Psalms can help us do that too. So say it like it is. Number two, choose to keep trusting God. The Psalms of Lament always express hope and trust. 
and always express faith despite these very real circumstances. As I said, it is like a seesaw. I've even got an image for that. You know, we can do that and we need to keep doing that. I have a list uh, on my email list at the side. I just have one email in, uh, folder that's called encouragement. And every time somebody sends me an encouraging word or says thank you very much for this or does, you know, says something nice to me, I just slide it into that folder. And when I'm feeling rubbish, what do I do? I just turn to my encouragement folder and read it and remind myself that it's okay. I might feel rubbish now, but there have been times when I haven't felt rubbish. Thank you for those of you who send me encouraging emails. That's not a request for more. <laughs> Although I'm, you know. You know, corporate worship like this morning is a brilliant way of keeping our eyes fixed on God and keeping, keeping our trust levels up. You know, sometimes our songs reflect some of the realities of life, don't we? Don't they? they have to. We sing that song, Blessed Be Your Name. Blessed be your name when, when things are good or when things are bad. We, we sing that song, Christ Alone, Cornerstone which was written, by the way, after, the, after that shooting tragedy in a youth camp in Scandinavia three, four, a few years ago. Christ alone cornerstone. We sing that song, God, I look to you, I won't be overwhelmed. Joe and I call that the Oh My Days song because it goes uh, right at the end, it says, forever all my days, I will trust in you. And we like to sing forever, oh my days, I will trust in you. Am I letting a little too much information out here? Anyway, we call it the, these songs declare... Declare the truth about God, which helps us to keep trusting. The Psalms of Lament help us express the realities of life and the struggles and the difficult times. And they remind us that others have been there and that God is listening. So there's this seesaw thing. But the third thing I want to say is that it doesn't just stop there. And we can actually press through into God's favour. These are great opportunities to realise that actually God, his favour is poured out on us. And I'm just borrowing some ideas from Alan Scott, who I heard preaching the other night. He just quoted this verse from John 16. It says, it's not luck, it's God's favour. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Grace upon grace is another translation. Favour upon favour. You see, we are promised grace and favour by God. That's the good, good father that he is. And sometimes we can see God's favour right in front of us and it's just there. It comes in through the front door. Wow, look at that, that's wonderful. And we say thank you, yes and amen. But Alan was talking about this, he said sometimes God's favour comes in through the back door too. God's favour comes in through moments of uncertainty or moments of opposition. And the reality of spiritual warfare is we are in a battle. And when we are genuinely trying to follow Jesus, then we are going to cause God's enemy, Satan, to have a go at us. And to try and stop us succeeding with that mission. He will do whatever it takes. And yet in those moments of opposition and hardship, God is still with us. He's willing us to keep going. He's willing us to push into him, to grow through the moment, to grow in character, to grow in the depth of our faith. So when we experience this kind of opposition, this kind of hassle in our lives, the thing that takes us to this place where we might feel like lamenting, it's not a sign that we've missed it. It's a sign that we've getting it. And when we're pushing forward with God, we'd be crazy not to expect opposition in hard times. Some seasons, I feel like that every day for weeks. Weeks on end. Oh God, I can't do this today. I just need to remember that opposition 
opens a door to favour. Opposition opens a door to grace upon grace, to abundance. Persecution leads to character growth. There's this, there's this blessing. Blessed are you, Jesus said, when people persecute you. That blessing is only available to people who are being persecuted. You can't get that if you're not having a tough time. David is alleged, and King David I'm talking about, is alleged to have written many of these songs. And yet kind of nobody knew who he was until he faced this great big giant, Goliath, the biggest enemy he'd ever had. So there he is chopping off the giant's head, having succeeded in battle, and the crowds start to sing his praise and call for him to be the king, to replace Saul as their king, which he did a bit later on. He then went on as king to fight many, many, many battles. He was the receiver of much of God's favour and often in the face of his enemies. He wrote, he anoints my head with oil in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of enemies. The reality is that any war that we're going through, any battles that we're suffering from, any, anything that surrounds our life, that's hassling us is because of the favour of God that's on us. And just like the computer games that my son plays on his Xbox, you know, you get to the end of a level and you only get through to the next level when you've defeated the monsters. You have to, you have to kill the baddies so you can get onto the next level. And so the Psalms of Lament are there for a reason. Because for the people of God, opposition is not only a regular occurrence, it's expected. That doesn't mean it's easy. This can be really tough. It takes real character and maturity to look at a problem and instantaneously go, yes, hallelujah, God is blessing me. I have not reached that stage yet in my walk with God. (laughs) Hooray, thank you, Jesus, for these terrible times because it means you have an amazing promise for me and your favour is coming. If you're there, then come come tell me afterwards because I'd like to come and learn from you about how to do that. Sometimes it's easier just to medicate the pain you know, instead of living in that reality, to feel sorry for myself. That's where we might need our friends to help us. <coughs> Alan Scott said this, he said, when you feel like you're being pushed further and further back into a corner by the enemy, imagine it's like you're in a boxing ring and you're leaning back against the ropes and you're so far back against the ropes and they're so stretched that you don't know if they're going to last anymore. He says, don't think of it as that. Think of it as a catapult. The further back you go... <laughs> The further back you go, the more God wants to launch you into the next stage of favour and abundance and blessing. So say it like it is, choose to trust and press on into God's favour. And just to finish, I want to share an example with you. This is one of my favourite people in the world. Um, This is a couple from my old church called Bill and Jenny. And Bill, this chap, was a Baptist minister for over 47 years. And at least 30 of those were spent in Small Heath in Birmingham, which is a pretty, pretty fruity inner city area. It's right by the Birmingham city ground, if anybody has ever been there. Um, he had a church of 200. He pastored that church for um, 30 years. In, in that time, he buried half of them, he told me. <laughs> but, um, but, but they saw significant, significant ministry started. You know, an amazing family support centre locally and amazing initiatives in Malawi and other African countries. This guy was a significant encourager, still is a significant encourager in many people's lives, especially in mine. Um, And Bill and Jenny had two sons, and when one of them was in his early 20s, he died very suddenly of um, just a, um, 
I don't know what it's called, just an adult sudden death syndrome. You know, one of those things where he just had a sort of heart attack from no reason and just died. And, um, and I didn't know him then, but he told me about it. And I mean, this, this guy, Bill, is the guy who taught me how to grieve. And he taught me how to, how to honor my own dad as I realized he was coming close to death. And how to press him to God and how to trust him. And he allowed the hardships to shape him, believing that God had more for him than this. And he did say, you know, he says, I still have lots of questions for God. I've got a few stored up for when I get up there. I'm sure he'll be happy to chat about them with me then. But he chose to honour and trust God, despite the pain. And he still clearly does now. He can't get about very much these days, but he's always on Facebook. (laughs) Always on Facebook, encouraging people and, and, um, and, uh, and speaking these words of life. And so I... When I, I was preparing last night quite late and I just thought of him and I, I thought I sent him a message. I sent him a, a message on Facebook to see if he checks it on a Sunday morning. I just said, I'm going to talk about you. Um, can you give me a quote? And I saw a little message in my inbox this morning saying, all he said was this, it would have been even more difficult without the Lord's people supporting every step of the way. Everyone matters. Which is a lovely quote, isn't it? And the Psalms of Lament remind us that this is something that we're in together. They encourage us to be real with God, to say it like it is, together. They encourage us to keep trusting him together and to push on to all the greater things that he's got for us, the favour and the abundance and all he's got for us, together. Shall we stand together? Why don't you guys come back? we have an opportunity to respond together you know when we pray at the end of a service we can of course all go and pray personally and privately God's always listening but sometimes it's just really important and special that together we express what's going on and we stand together to support one another and stand in front of God together and so that's what we do when we pray and so in a moment um, it might be that you'd like to come and respond to something that God is doing with you something that you feel like he's highlighted for you this morning. There will be those amongst us, there are those amongst us, who are in the middle of suffering at the moment. And it might be that you would just like to come forward and have somebody stand with you and pray for you as you're going through a time of feeling broken because of a relationship or a job or something that's just happened to you. There are some who are here who are desperate for refreshment And one, like Nigel said, you know, you're feeling as dry as a bone. And one of the words this morning was that God wanted to fill us up until we're able to bubble over. That's what his spirit can and does do. And there are still others, not just men, but I think there are some men. And today, what Nigel said, you feel really challenged to actually connect with your emotions. There is some stuff that's in the valley and you've buried it down. And you've been afraid of of going there and looking at it because you don't know what's going to happen when you do. And today God's saying, come on out because I want to meet you in that place and I want to take you out the other side. And this is a safe place. There are people here who can stand alongside you and, and be with you as you do that. And it may also be that you experienced God's touch earlier 
when we talked about healing or that you, there is an area that you need healing for, whether it is cancer or something with your uterus or clicky joints or something else. And if you would like to respond and have someone pray with you, then do come and respond to that. And so the band are going to lead us. And if you do want to respond to any of those things, then please do come forward. And church, we're going to be together in this. And so as people come to respond, if that's not you, please come straight away and stand alongside these folk and pray. And then, as I said, both Caroline and Jonathan are moving on today. And so a bit later on, I'd love the two of them to just come to the front. And if you know and love them, come and gather around them and we'll pray to release them as they go. So if God has been speaking to you and want to respond to any of those things, now's a good time to come. Come to the front. And if you're in one of our life groups and you know how to pray, then come and stand alongside one of these guys. Bless you. Thank you. Keep coming down. Come and stand alongside these folk. Here's some, some ladies. Come and stand next to them. Put a hand on them. Ask them what they like some prayer for and just pray and encourage them. That's what God's doing. Yeah. Can you just, if you're coming down, come right forward and there's room behind because there's quite a few people to respond today. Yeah. I need a couple more ladies to come and pray. That's great. It's not too late. If God's doing something with you, come forward now. That's great. Thank you, church. Thank you, church, for being family together. Another lady over here we need.